As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Anchor for Rotherham, woe for Wednesday, delight for Derby, pain for Pompey, cheer for Cheltenham and Cambridge, whilst Bolton are buoyant and user in the playoffs, Oxford. What a final weekend. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Howdy all, Matt Davis-Adams here to talk through that suitably crackers final weekend of the regular EFL season. I'm joined by the one and only Sam Parkin. Afternoon, Matt. How you doing? All right, thank you. Yeah, uh, big bad Adrian Clark's also with us. Hi, Clark. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Big and bad. <laughs> <laughs> and running up that hill, the runner ready to run, the running kind, running on empty, run the world. Open brackets, girls close brackets. Run this town. Lots of songs with running. Basically, it's Michelle Owen who can explain why I've used that incredibly laboured intro. I see what you did there. I've got five k left of this hundred k. So, guys, thank you all so much for your your sponsorship. The latest to the party was Sam Parkin. So thank you very much for that over the weekend. And you've all donated um, for pregnancy sickness support. And we're so nearly done, which is why I look very tired today. But uh, Clarky doesn't look big and bad, so I think we'll be all right. <laughs> uh, it's your your Twitter page is the best place to go to find out the link to donate if people oh, want yeah, to write Michelle. Yeah. yeah, just Michelle Owen 7. Be nice. <laughs> uh, as you can imagine it's a stack card today let's kick off with our headline act the championship championship headlines Derby stay up somehow Chef Weds Rotherham and Wickham are down the mood around those first two clubs significantly different to that of the chair boys Norwich hold up trophy spray champagne wave pre-printed banners the championship playoff final might be moved from Saturday the 29th of May to avoid a potential clash with the Champions League final if that gets moved to Wembley Elton John was at Vicarage Road, though rumours of a duet with Zisco are not confirmed at time of recording. And just months after being diagnosed with cancer, Sol Bamba made his return for Cardiff. Sure is dusty in here today. Right, like me trying to assemble a piece of IKEA furniture, all the focus was on the wrong end of the table in the championship as the season played out its end credits. header out, wing on the end of it, oh what a goal, fabulous strike from Lewis Wing and what a start for Rotherham United in a game they simply have to win. Roberts, would you believe it, Patrick Roberts with a crack of a derby, it goes Dunkley in and Julian Bonner, I'm not sure how much he knew about it, the Wednesday leads. Back Ojo's way, Marlon Pack. Heartbreaker for Rotherham. Waghorn from the spot. Puts him right into the corner. It's 3-3. And that's it. Sheffield Wednesday relegated to League One. Wayne Rooney has kept Derby up by the slenderest of margins on the final day. So just like producer Abby did there, we'll roll our chat on the two big games into one. Uh, so before kickoff, Derby knew they'd be safe with a win or if they drew and Rotherham failed to win, which as we heard was what happened, but with many a twist and turn in between. Uh, let's start with Derby, Adrian, and, and pretend for a moment that I'm impartial. 
It's still a fair question to ask, I think. Would Derby monumentally lucky? Homer Simpson once claimed the two sweetest words in the English language were, were D and fault, and, and that's basically how they've survived. <laughs> I guess you're the winner by default. Default! Woohoo! The two sweetest words in the English language. Default! 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 <laughs> They were lucky that, that Cardiff obviously got that late goal because they knew what they had to do. They had to beat a, a very weak Sheffield Wednesday side, in my opinion, and they, they, they didn't do that. They scrambled to a 3-3 draw. So, yeah, of course they, of course they were fortunate, but, um, but you know, they, they did, I guess, what they had to do in the end. Scored some good goals. I mean, we can't take that away from them. Uh, Martin Waghorn was, was the hero. And and I think he deserves deserves a pat on the back because not least because Wayne Rooney throws him out not long ago. Um, he had the unacceptable training behaviour. It was all a little bit of a mystery, wasn't it? But Wayne Rooney challenged him to be better and to do more. Left him out, but then was big enough to welcome him back into the fold. And when push came to shove, he needed Waghorn, and Waghorn. Delivered. So, so yeah, credit to him and to Derby for scoring three times. But, of course, they were lucky. They defended terribly in this match, just as they've done for, well, the last three months, really. Sam, you were on Quest on Saturday when, when Wayne Rooney spoke to, to Colin Murray after the game. Colin called him a, a proper football man. This is a bit of a reach, but I wonder <laughs> if this is part of the problem. Like, there's not been much scrutiny of his actual coaching ability, because people kind of want him to do well because he's Wayne Rooney, but his team have been woeful for months. Um, certainly in the recent weeks and months, there was an upturn. It wasn't very pretty on the eye, but they were keeping a lot of clean sheets and, and winning games initially. So people probably got excited about that, got enthused about what he'd done initially. And I remember me and Clarkie in particular talking about tactical decisions that he was making during these victories his you know displaying a great tactical mind and and changing games and and having effects on matches so that's probably put him in good stead and then the last couple of months they have been absolutely woeful I mean that 45 minutes at the weekend was as bad as it gets really the opening 45 I thought it was dreadful um and yeah thank goodness that he had Martin Waghorn because the strength of character to take the penalty and not go safe with it, I thought was a a real big moment from a from a uh, a good championship player over the years to put the height on it and the pace on the side foot penalty under such pressure and scrutiny. I thought was a big moment. Credit to Roberts for his finish as well, but yeah, ridiculously fortunate to stay in the division after churning out you know dreadful performances after dreadful performances in the last few weeks. We'll talk about whether their celebrations might prove to have been a little premature. But Michelle, what what did you make of the the scenes at the end? The, the players going wild on the pitch, and then in a not very COVID safe way, celebrating with supporters outside the ground afterwards. Is it is it much of an achievement for Derby not to get relegated to the third tier? Well, they didn't even do it in style. They didn't even come out <laughs> fighting, did they? Bottom of the form table over the last six games, rock bottom. Um. They've just been so poor. I'm not really sure <laughs> if that's grounds to celebrate. I mean, I saw Wayne Rooney at the men at the end. He he didn't really celebrate too much. It was more sort of hugs for his players and smiles and, and relief from Wayne Rooney. But he did say, you know, as footballers, this is sort of what you live for. These are the moments. And I thought, yeah, I get that. That you know, the elation of staying up. But it's not really because they did their job. It's like by default, like you said. So. There's the there's the raw emotion of it, which I totally get. Staying in the division, it's massive, and the fans, you know, wanted to see the players and wanted to celebrate them with them, even if it wasn't COVID safe. But on the same hand, you've got Wayne Rooney there, who's been one of the best footballers of his generation, celebrating, scraping, staying up in the championship. Is that is that a massive achievement? I I get it, but I don't necessarily agree with it. I just wonder whether Derby would have been safe weeks ago had they given, not not because Wayne Rooney is a bad manager, I'm saying this, but but would they have been safe weeks ago if they'd appointed someone else and kept him as a player? You know, could have just moved Steve McLaren down from, from yeah. boardroom? Possibly, um, but he was he was still affecting the team. I remember the goal he scored at Carrow Road earlier this season, stuck one in the top corner 
they were desperately short of goals, weren't they? And and he was in effect choosing to weaken his own team by not playing himself. So yeah, we'll never know. But 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 I did feel, I did think it was slightly slightly strange that he completely not playing on the head right away. Uh, so they were celebrating, but as we're recording this, uh, word is is reaching us that the EFL have won their appeal to find Derby in breach of FFP regulations. There could therefore be a points deduction, and that we don't know whether that's going to be applied to next season's total or still to this. It's uh, it's a really difficult one, Michelle, isn't it? Because there, there's kind of precedent both ways and, and we can't really predict how it's going to go but Derby couldn't have much argument if it did get applied to this season's total I don't think. No it's it's a really tricky situation because you look the Sheffield Wednesday had the points deduction this season from last season didn't they so they in the end it was minus six and that ultimately I guess sent them down so would it be fair for Derby to have the same because it's pretty much the same thing in the same season or do the EFL go with that and put it on next season? So like Sheffield Wednesday, they start the championship season with, with that deduction. Um, I'm not sure which is the right answer because we've seen the opposite done before. But it's it's a little tough on the players because they won't have known that's coming. But you can't argue with the impact it's had over the season. It's called financial fair play for a reason. So all the teams are fair. And you have to have sanctions if someone breaks it, whether it's a final points deduction, because if not, then it takes the fair out of it. Sam, we, we saw the precedent for this last year with Macclesfield and, and it meant that, that Stevenage moved up a place in League Two and, and stayed up. I, I would suggest that it's, it's much easier to retrofit it to a Macclesfield side who are being wound up anyway than it is to, to Derby County, who presumably that would just lead to loads of, of legal wranglings and litigation over months and months and months. Whereas if it was applied to next season's points total, that they'd be, they'd be more inclined to, to take it on the chin maybe? Yeah, you you would think so. And, uh, and Macclesfield, we seem to be speaking about every week last season um, in, in terms of the way they they were running things at that club. And um, I know this has been hanging over for over Derby, but it would seem, in my mind, the right thing to do it next season, um, considering what happened to Sheffield Wednesday. I know there was calls for Sheffield Wednesday to be punished at the time, but I just think, you know, when you are given that points penalty you can react accordingly at the football club in terms of the way that you go about signing players the way that you attack the season attack certain games um and I'm with Michelle it would seem unjust on the players who yeah they've they've stayed up um it's not an achievement in in my mind at all but that's the facts they were able to get enough points to stay in a division so I think they should have the opportunity I don't know if that's the right word but they should be able to go into next season with that penalty rather than having it now, which would be, you know, catastrophic, I suppose, for the for those squad members who, who by the way, were celebrating, Matt, but I think I could bet my bottom dollar there probably wasn't a supporter under 40 that was outside that ground. And I would also put it down to probably youthful exuberance of those players in that dressing room, not the experienced players. Probably seen it going on elsewhere across the EFL and got a little bit carried away, but there's certainly nothing to celebrate for the more um, together football people in that dressing room and that on that coaching staff. Adrian, I guess what what you do want in, in terms of any sanctions is for at some point there to be some consistency. You know, we find you guilty of this, the the punishment is dished out immediately for everybody and and that makes life a lot maybe not not a lot easier but a lot clearer. The policing of of the EFL is is just a shambles, isn't it? Really, they they dish out punishments and then they can't impose them because there are appeals that go to arbitration panels that then disagree with them. And then they subsequently win another appeal eight months down the road. It's, it's, it's an absolute nonsense. And that I think is the thing that has to change moving forwards has to be much clearer and speedier. Goodness me. When did Derby allegedly commit this financial crime so to speak, it was at least a couple of seasons ago. Uh, and the fact that they still haven't been made to pay for that is is quite frankly a joke. So, yeah, the EFL and football in general has to work out a way for um, for these punishments to be administered faster. 
Yeah, I th- just to jump in on that, Clarkie, I think that's the sort of, that's the thing, isn't it? What's the point in having a points deduction if it doesn't affect that season? That's what I meant, meant before, really. Um, if, if you've done something in that season, then it, maybe it should be impacting the season that it's impacted. Said impacted a lot there, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> it was impactful, though, so that's fine. <laughs> so that's Derby. To give us more insight on the situation at Hillsborough as Sheffield Wednesday prepare for life back in League One, here's the Athletics' Owls correspondent, Nancy Frosty. Nancy, you were at Pride Park on Saturday. Before we get to, to the nuts and bolts of what's happened to, to Wednesday, what was it like inside the stadium? How were the, the two respective benches, coaching staffs? Was it was it unbearably tense? Yeah, it was, to be honest. And uh, looking up and down the, the press box actually was uh, was quite the sight. Lots of uh, heads in hands and, you know, people kind of watching through their fingers. But um, no, it was, uh, yeah, it was such a... A tense and kind of animated um, atmosphere. I mean, the the Derby bench and all the staff were were so loud and and kind of behind the team at every occasion. I think they had even like the IT staff and the, you know the catering team were all down, kind of um, pitch side by the end of the game. So um, you could also hear the Derby fans that were outside the ground celebrating whenever a goal went in, um, and then very loudly at full time. So. Um, it was kind of as much of an atmosphere as, as there's been in any championship game this season, I think. And Wednesday performed better than they did against Forest a week earlier, but too little too late, ultimately. Yeah, I, I was saying this to someone earlier, actually. It was probably one of the better Wednesday performances I've seen this season, which um, is actually a bit of a shame considering it was obviously the last game. But um, it just showed a lot more lot more fight and a lot more urgency than than they had previously against Forest where um you know things were, were flat given the importance of that game so um but it just came down to I guess results elsewhere but also uh that kind of typical um slightly lax defending that that we've kind of come to come to expect from from Wednesday this season now and um yeah both teams um you know t- to their credit went for it and and seemed to really uh throw everything behind uh, needing to win the game. Um, just, yeah, too too little, too late for Wednesday, I think. Yeah, I just wonder whether Darren Moore had an impact on on that mindset. Obviously, the situation would have played a part as well. I was, I was just staggered. I was at Hillsborough for the, for the Forest game and I was just amazed at, at how unbothered Sheffield Wednesday appeared to be to go out and, and, and try to win that game. I guess we'll never know what would have happened had Darren Moore been been around the place more often. But but is he going to stay? Is, is he the man to, to bring the good times back? Or is he up against it with the current owner, no matter how good he is? Um, I think he's made it clear that he wants to stay. And um, the owner put a, a statement out on, on Saturday night to say that, Obviously, he's back in. He's back in Darren. So, in that respect, that was a massive positive, I think, for Wednesday. You know, the fans are well behind Darren, and um, the impact he's made since he came in. You know, speaking really frankly, it would have been a miracle if he had kept them up. So, to take it to the final game, and um, you know, with obviously that came down to a lot of other results as well. But to kind of have kept them in it for for that long when they looked doomed well before that is kind of testament to the impact that he's had and, and what he can do for them moving forward. But, um, but yeah, I don't think it will be easy. Um, you know, there's a lot of bigger problems at the club um, and I think it will take a bit of a change um, in that regard to really have an impact. Um, you know, uh, how quickly Darren can have an impact will, will depend on those like larger structural and, and organisational changes, really. Nancy, I, I was quite staggered to, to read about the sums of money that some of the Sheffield Wednesday players are still earning. Um, seen them a lot over the last few years. Uh, I'm thinking about Barry Bannon in, here in particular with his new contract. Are they going to have to balance the books by getting rid of some of these high earners, some of these championship players, and I suppose preparing for life uh, with League One players in essence? Yeah, I should think so. I mean, it's the sensible... Um business move isn't it I think it's a, roughly a seven to eight million pound you know drop off between the two leagues with relegation so they're going to have to recoup some of that somehow um, and I know that a lot of those players that are still on under contract into next season you know do have relegation clauses which will mean that they're 
salaries will obviously drop by some of them are up to 50 percent but um you would think that yeah people on the on the top end the likes of Barry Bannon you know they're going to be attracting interest anyway um and taking a sensible offer at this time is probably the best thing that Wednesday can do for any player like that just to to help them restructure but it will be interesting to see how they approach it because um I didn't realize until fairly recently that in League One the uh they don't have the like profitability and sustainability rules the same way that they do in the championship so in theory um there's kind of a gentleman's agreement between other teams that there's a uh, a spending limit so to speak but um but it's not enforced properly like the the one in the championship so yeah that, that could affect how Wednesday do things but I think the sensible business model is to kind of cut their cloth accordingly to League One. Nancy, I just wanted to ask you about the points deduction because I think it's quite interesting that those six breakaway clubs in the Premier League wanted to go to the ESL and it looks like they're not going to have any sanctions for doing that. Um, Whereas Sheffield Wednesday, you know, one of the oldest football clubs in the world, is being relegated to, to League One because of a points deduction. Do the fans feel hard done by at all or do they think that it was it was fair? I know it was reduced to six. What's the sort of general consensus? Um, I think kind of with the points deduction, I think there's more frustration probably now directed towards the owner because that's essentially the, the determining factor in them going down. But I think generally, yeah, if you kind of think about all the hours of... of conversations that people have had and pundits have had about whether or not these clubs should be punished and all the fallout of the ESL and you know it's unfair on Man United fans or whoever if if they get deductions well actually for years and years this has been happening um in the EFL and and it's almost normal you know Wigan went down um last season and Barnsley stayed up because of their points deduction and now Barnsley are in the playoffs and and it can have such massive um, knock-on effects that, yeah, I think there's definitely a frustration um, towards maybe the the way that it's the way that it's played out and kind of the governance issues that um, I think anyone reporting on the EFL would say that, you know, things kind of aren't perfect with that. Um but yeah, I think the Wednesday fans are generally more frustrated maybe at the owner and kind of the fact that Wednesday were in a position where they've had to sell the stadium and then they haven't done it quite well enough in terms of back, uh, in terms of dating things. The kind of the dates weren't quite right. And and so it's it's just rumbled on and rumbled on. And, you know, Wednesday were starting miles behind the rest of the league and, and so kind of were, were relegation favourites from day, day one, really. So I think... When it first came out, the anger was directed at the EFL, but as the season's gone on and things just have gathered pace in terms of off-field drama, um, I think that anger's definitely like more redirected towards the owner now. And that leads me on to my final question, Nancy. Lots of supporters calling for, for Chan Siri to take a step back or maybe even just appoint some people below him who could help him out a bit. Do you think there's any chance that that'll happen? Um... I mean, we've we've asked this uh, many times before, and and he seems quite um, quite resistant to the idea, and has been, you know, since since the last chief exec went in in February 2019, and so you can you can see it from a point where you know he puts a lot of money in, and and he's explained before the way his business is working in Thailand and in Asia, where he might fulfil a role. Um, as a as an owner and a chief exec, and it's kind of you know a, an overarching um, position. But I think he just he does need help. Whether that's whether that's a CEO, whether that's a director of football, there needs to be someone there doing the day to day work on the ground. Um, and and the pandemic has surely you know highlighted that to him. You'd think, given that he's he's not been able to come over and maybe be as involved as usual. So it needs to happen. But but whether it will. Uh, will depend on him kind of, you know, accepting that it needs to change, basically. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed, but you never know. <laughs> final, final question. I can hear the familiar rattle of bell wrapped round. Oh. Um, <laughs> did, you, did you always want a cat or was it just that an owl was an impractical pet? <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine yeah I, I was I was wondering if you could pick pick up on that um yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> I should have moved to another room. Um, she's got my pen from my notebook here and is chewing it and flicking it across the room. So, um, but yeah, we, we did a rescue from the RSPCA. Um, uh, the jury's still out on getting an owl, but I'm not sure how the cat would feel about that. <laughs> uh, Nancy, thanks so much, not just for today, but for your all your contributions across the season. Our pleasure. Thanks, guys. Nancy Frostick of The Athletic there. If you fancy more on the situation at Hillsborough or Derby or anything else EFL, then The Athletic is the place to go. If you're not already a subscriber, head to theathletic.com slash league show for an exclusive offer. Uh, so the only of the three teams you could have gone down we haven't mentioned so far are Rotherham. Michelle, am I being harsh here to say that they messed it up? Three wins in 20 league games. Can't all be down to COVID fixture congestion. Well, no, but, you know, just when you don't want to be playing a hat full of games all in a row, you know, the schedule they had was way harsher than anyone else at the end. And I think something we talked about on Quest is they, they had some bad luck along the way as well with that Crooks red card. It wasn't a red, in my opinion. Um, and then I was this, I was wondering, was this true um, on Saturday? Because it was down the line in my ears that whoever was covering that game for Soccer Saturday said that Cardiff at one all kept the ball in the corner. Did that, did anyone know if that happened? Because it um, just seemed a little bit ridiculous. I, I mean, I've not known clubs keep, uh, teams keep a ball in the corner for a draw before. So I just felt a little bit for Rotherham. They just didn't get the, the rub of the green and Mon on pack just broke. I mean, good play. that's fair play to Cardiff. You know, they were, they were still playing the 88th minute and Mon on pack got the the equaliser but I just feel like Rotherham did get a bit of bad luck they they weren't good enough probably over the season as a whole but the Covid outbreak and the fixture congestion it left them with it left them with too much to do one thing that the pundits have been saying a lot recently is when we look at games in hand we automatically give three points I think Sam said it the other week on Quest as well um, and so we think oh they've got two games in hand six points or they'll go above Derby but yeah it's not that simple is it and Ultimately, Rotherham just didn't have the squad depth to be able to handle those fixtures at the end. They didn't have the quality to come off the bench. And that's indicative of where they are, you know, in terms of financially as well, compared to the, the bigger teams. You know, they compete with Derby and Sheffield Wednesday against relegation. It's a big ask. First of all, if Cardiff did do that, as pure footballing mm. towsery, and I love it, it's great. <laughs> uh, it's part of the game. <laughs> um, I'm all... No. All for it, all for it, um, just to be spiteful. Now, I've got a few stats here on, on Rotherham that, that might indicate part of the story. They they had the ninth most shots this season. Um, most of those X, on Saturday against Cardiff, yeah. Their XG, <laughs> their XG said that they should have scored 60 goals this season in terms of expected goals. They scored 44. Wow. That is the reason that they've gone down. And, and also... I think they'll be really kicking themselves about set-piece goals against. They're massive, Rotherham. I saw them recently. They're huge. And they boom it long. They're very comfortable in the air. Yet they conceded 19 goals from dead ball situations, which was the second highest in the league. So that, I think from a footballing perspective, those those are the two factors that, that Paul Warren will be gutted most about. Sam, do you reckon he'll stick around next season? He, he understandably looked looked a broken man at, at full time. Uh, he, you just got to wonder if he's if he's got the the fortitude to to go through that again because it can't be easy to go up and down, up and down like a fledgling cryptocurrency. Uh, no idea because I don't know him, but uh, I would I would imagine so. I'd imagine so because it's his it's his club. He played there. Um, He's got a great relationship with everyone. I'd be interested to know now in the wake of all this, and he's getting loads of sympathy, rightly because of the last few weeks have been really tough for, for Rotherham for the reasons that Michelle states, um, the amount of games, the quick turnaround, the budget, so on. Um, if he'd have done anything different in terms of the makeup of his squad, having suffered relegation um, a couple of seasons ago, you know, this is another crack in the championship. And I think... You know, some supporters would have wanted Rotherham to make, I don't know, a better fist of it is the right phrase, but not be in the same predicament as they were a couple of seasons ago. The the lack of goals has been the problem, clear, clearly. Um, just six in the last 12 and three of those were against QPR. And only one bloke scored in the last five games, Lewis Wing, with his first couple of the season. So 
Um, yeah, the, the missed chances is the reason why they're down here. But yeah, I just think, you know, maybe, I don't think there's questions for Paul Warren to answer because, of course, they're they're fighting, you know, above their level, really. Um, but I'm sure that maybe on reflection, he might have done one or two things differently. But I, I'd be very surprised if he's not in the job uh, and there would be suitors. I'm not sure a big championship club would go for Paul Warren right now. That's my honest feeling. Um, there's maybe a bit more uh, in the tank, a credit in the, in the bank, sorry, for maybe Gareth Ainsworth. To, to, to go on um, I don't I wouldn't sense that Paul Warren would maybe get that opportunity right now time will tell with that so that was relegation we now know who's playing who in the playoffs too it'll be Brentford against Bournemouth and Swansea versus Barnsley uh, Michelle you're in Ashton Gate on Saturday thus you're well placed to answer this question which has come to us from at that red haired dude who's tweeted at the totally show they say, is it last chance saloon for Brentford? Surely if they fail again, a lot of their big name players will be poached by Premier League clubs, Ivan Tony being one. that They've got momentum, but that pressure, especially given what happened last year, it is very real. Yeah, I mentioned the form table earlier and actually top of the form table over the last six games going into the playoffs, which is exactly what you want right now. But yeah, how long can they keep up the money ball approach and keep getting those amazing players that they're able to bring in and they've been able to do so successfully over the last couple of seasons? There's no way Ivan Tony's going to be there if they don't go up. You know, 31 goals in the championship, absolutely phenomenal. Um, watch them on Saturday against Bristol City. I mean, oh, Bristol City are awful, but just so confident. It was like a training game. It was attack versus defence. And I said to um, Thomas Frank after you know it's going to be Bournemouth he's like no honestly we didn't care who it was it's all fine margins but they've got to be thinking come on we've got to do it this year we've got to they're the favourites for me Speaking of Ivan Tony, the man with two first names throwing some shade at the haters on Twitter he says he only scores tappings he only scores pens 31 goals I call it happy two number rather than T.O. break the record but obviously couldn't have done it without my teammates heart emoji on to the playoffs now let's finish the job off praise emoji football emoji also just maybe you can put a little respect on my name eyes looking emoji at Brentford FC I don't think he's saying that Brentford FC haven't put any respect on his name but uh, we take the point Ivan and it's well made so on quest on Saturday Sam uh, was back in Brentford Michelle is too Clark, are you going for the hat trick or are you going to mix it up a bit? <laughs> Let me think. Yeah, look, Brentford should do it. I think Brentford are the best team. But Swansea on their day, I think would give them a really good final. Bar- Barnsley, I'm afraid, aren't ready for the Premier League. But Brentford or Swansea would be would be good additions. Bournemouth have got the talent, but but yeah, I would personally like to see a Brentford Swansea final. Um and, but my heart would be with Brentford because of their near misses in recent years. I, th- I think I think this has got to be their time. We're going to squeeze out a playoff preview pod on Sunday, by the way, listeners, so you can check that out later on this week. Uh, Abby, you're a producer, but also a giver of odds. In this case, those odds will specifically reference the championship playoffs of which we've just been talking. And they will have been set by Paddy Power, who sponsored this show. Can you give us... Some more detailed information than that, please. Paddy, agree with everyone here. It is Brentford, 17 to 10. They are the favourites to get promoted. Uh, Bournemouth, 9 to 4. Barnsley, 7 to 2. And Swansea, 4 to 1. The least likely in Paddy Power's mind to be promoted. Mm, there you go. Right, the final playoff place in League One was settled on Sunday. We'll round up the last day of the regular season in the third tier next. Uh, Harry, is there any truth in the rumours that you're off to Spain in the summer? Uh, 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 sorry, me, uh, me no hablo inglés. Uh, what about one of the Manchester clubs? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's... Uh... Well, Harry, what about my source who says you're keen to stay at Spurs? <laughs> uh, can we keep the question sensible, please? Kane's future at Spurs remains uncertain, but you're guaranteed to get money back as a free bet if one leg of your four-fold acre lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begumbleaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. 
This is the Totally Football League show with Matt Davis-Adams. League One headlines Oxford sneak into the playoffs at the expense of Portsmouth and Charlton. Hull get their mitts on the League One trophy despite losing at the Valley. Ed Sheeran's the new sponsor of Ipswich's A-Team as he turned to Portman Road and thought, I like the shape of you, someone has to. Anyway, all this is a perfect chance to start thinking out loud with the beautiful people of this podcast about how we can multiply the length of this section and bask in its afterglow. That's all Abby, by the way. They're apparently all Ed Sheeran references. I'm nearly 40 years old, so uh, it's gone over my head a little bit. James Coppinger actually is 40, and he's retired after 695 games in 17 years at Doncaster. Amazing. Uh, So going into the final day, Portsmouth, Oxford and Charlton were all fighting for the final playoff place. You could say, though, it was Accrington Stanley who were the key club on Sunday. Chance, and it's brilliant from Phillips. Accrington Stanley don't care about reputations. They just love to cause the big clubs big problems. And Portsmouth could have a huge problem on their hands now. Portsmouth's promotion dream is in ruins again, and this time they couldn't make the playoffs. Portsmouth nil, Accrington Stanley won then. Sam Parkin was in attendance. Uh, Sam, did Pompey freeze or are they just not good enough for a playoff place as their boss intimated post-match? They froze, definitely, but the other ingredient was a, a really good... Accrington Stanley performance. Um, I saw Luton give everything against Rotherham last Tuesday. Talk about the integrity of the division, and you know Accrington Stanley did exactly uh, what everyone would have wanted them to do yesterday. They were wholehearted, defended their box brilliantly. Nottingham, in particular, I thought was excellent, and I just loved their front two. Charles and Bishop spoke about them so often, and I can't tell you, I can't accentuate it enough the contrast between them and Portsmouth's front players. It was night and day. Every time the ball goes forward for Accrington, the centre-half never has an easy header. Those two compete for everything, aggressive, just love their attitude, love it. But yeah, Portsmouth started brightly, were dreadful for 40 minutes. And then they really started the second half with intensity, looked like the goal was coming. And then all of a sudden, Danny Cowley made three substitutions and completely ripped up the system, essentially had... Um, two defenders on the pitch and eight forwards. It was glorious. I was rubbing my hands together going, <laughs> as we're being Danta, dance, this is going to be brilliant fun. And it just subsided. The chances didn't come. Accrington were comfortable. <laughs> they, they changed their shape, Accrington as well, to um, negate what Portsmouth were trying. They, they went to their back five, which they've done pretty much all of the season and saw it out really comfortably. So there was dejection on the final whistle but I sensed what was going to happen today and that the Cowleys were going to sign a long-term contract was in the offing anyway so there seems to be a bit of togetherness around Portsmouth anger directed towards the players of course but I think everyone's backing Danny Cowley to bring the good times back and 100% a number of those players should be fearing for their future this morning because not good enough not good enough this season in the last few weeks and not good enough under under Kenny Jacket. Yeah, DC not exactly marvelling at his squad. We've had a couple of tweets through on that from Andy and at Cowley's Cow. Talking about the need for complete squad reconstruction, do you think that that's, that's fair, Adrian? Or, or is it just a case of, I don't know, the manager deciding that deflecting the blame onto the, the players rather than himself would, would be the best course of action? Not completely. I think some of the out-of-contract players, maybe the keeper, McGillivray, Watmore, they need to be retained. But but yeah, I think the bulk of them, they could go and have a reboot. Portsmouth is a very attractive club to play for. And the Cowley brothers are, are so enthusiastic. And I think a lot of, a lot of and, and knowledgeable and, and very proficient. I think a lot of players would want to go and work with them. So, so yeah, no, I, I expect big changes at Portsmouth this summer. And I think that they will come back stronger next season. I think you, you look at Cowley there, you look at Cook at Ipswich, Adkins at Charlton, all parachuted in, didn't quite do enough to get their clubs into the playoffs. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against any of those three making big strides next season. So they miss out 
It was Oxford who got in in their place and, and they emphatically sealed their place in the playoffs with a 4-0 thumping of Burton. Remember, Oxford were in the relegation places after 15 games. It seemed that hangover from last season's failed playoff campaign uh, was going to stunt any potential for a reprise this season. Michelle, does, does Carl Robinson need to get them up this time? I just wonder if it might be difficult to, to get them motivated for another crack at it if they don't go all the way this season. Well... <sighs> The heartbreak of playoffs is, is awful. And any fan that's been all the way to Wembley, actually, and been there when a playoff defeat happens, it's it's horrendous. Um, Oxford United have fallen short before, but to turn their season around like they did, you know, they'll feel full of confidence going into this. So I don't want to get ahead and say they're not going to do it or they are going to do it. But the last 10 games, they're equal with Peterborough you know, for their form, 21 points from the last 10 games. They won seven of them. They only lost three. And yesterday, I think they had to weather a bit of an early storm against Burton, but after that, they were absolutely terrific. So there's always one team going into the playoffs that that is the form team, and it's them. So I certainly wouldn't be writing them off before this. Um, Terrific end of season running for them, and they'll go in full of confidence. So I I do hear what you're saying. You know, they'll feel like they need to get it done. Likewise, like what we're saying about Brentford. But I quite fancy them at the moment. Sam, how significant is it that that Carl Robinson won't be on the touchline for the playoff campaign? Full match ban for his part in that unpleasantness at Sunderland, who they could, of course, meet in the final. I guess if it's not going to be a a full stadium, either at the Kassam or or at Wembley, then he could just shout from the director's (laughs) box and still be heard. Yeah, he's... He's not shy. I, I've seen him, you know, a few live Sky games. He he takes the high vantage point anyway in the uh, in the stadium. I don't think it makes a big deal at all, to, to, to be honest. Um, listen, I've written this team off many a times in the last few months. Um, With glee, I, thought, I might add. Oh, I thought they were done. April, was it? Start of April when they lost to Sunderland and Aquiton. I thought they were must-win games. So to win six out of seven is tremendous. Then they lost at AFC Wimbledon, didn't they? Um, had to win the next three and they've done it and done it emphatically, as Michelle says. 28 goals in their last 10 games all coming together for them. And and me and Clarkey were really sceptical as if this kind of um, all-out attack was going to prevail. And my God, it has. I mean, they've been terrific with Brannigan playing, obviously, in, in midfield. We question whether he had the tenacity. Um, the likes of Henry and and Taylor Shadipo have all come to the fore in the last few weeks and love the goals. Um, some real quality goals. The first one, Shadipo's against Burton, up there with one of the best team goals I've seen. Winner weaving, chipping in with a, a world in. I love Matt Taylor's anticipation. I don't think there's anyone better so at, at that level. It doesn't get enough credit for me. But as a former striker, I watch him and he, he preys on so many little hesitations from opposite defenders or misplaced headers. He's there on the six-yard box, just smells out the chances. So he was uh, hindered by injury last year at this time. So he could be a difference maker. Yeah, he's brilliant. I think, look, they've got so many good attacking players. And, and you're right... <laughs> Sam's right to point it out. We were both sceptical because he, they were so attack-minded with the with the fabric of the side, the framework. Two of the most attacking fullbacks in the league, and basically six attack-minded players ahead of the centre halves. It's it doesn't make sense, but it's worked. One thing I'll say is that against the better teams in the division, it hasn't worked so well. Top half sides, only four wins all season against top half sides. For Oxford, so that's something they have to get over in in the playoffs. You know, they, they won eleven of twelve at home to the teams in the bottom half. They, you know, flat track bullies, brilliant. Eighteen of twenty four, they've won against teams in the bottom half. But against the best teams, that's where the lack maybe of a defensive fulcrum can hurt you. So look, I, I hope they do it because it's a really great way to play. I love the adventure. But I'm I'm still got a little bit of scepticism. So it's going to be Blackpool versus Oxford and Sunderland versus Lincoln in those semis. League One should be fun next season. Wickham, maybe Sheffield Wednesday, Bolton, Cheltenham, Cambridge, Ipswich, Charlton, Portsmouth and potentially Sunderland as well. Uh, Abby, we spoke about the odds for the championship playoffs. Let's do exactly the same, but removing the championship and inserting in its place in League One. 
Well, Sunderland are the favourites. Uh, they are 17 to 10 to get promoted after this. Uh, Paddy Power can't split Blackpool and Oxford. Uh, they are 11 to 4 to be promoted and Lincoln coming in last at 4 to 1. Good stuff. Right, our last stop is League Two. Please make sure you have all your personal possessions with you as we pull into its station imminently. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. League Two headlines. Cheltenham are champs. Bolton and Cambridge pit Morecambe to the other two automatic promotion places. As was the case at the start of the day, Forest Green, Morecambe, Newport and Tranmere finish in the playoffs. That meant Exeter and Salford missed out. Orient and Walsall are starting the hunt for a new permanent manager, whilst Mark Bonner has been given a new deal at Cambridge. And Grimsby and Southend aren't happy with being relegated into a league that isn't having any relegation this season, so therefore think they shouldn't be relegated. Good luck with that. Eyes rolling emoji. Uh, We kick off with the three teams who found from time to time some complication, but eventually managed to move on up. Doyle in the middle. Sarsavik fancies this himself! The shot in. Well, surely Bolton are home now. Owen Doyle with a really tidy finish. Goal number 19 of the season. And this is his growth for four. No problem. Sums up and puts the gloss on a brilliant day for Bolton Wanderers. Back in League One football at the first time of asking. Just move on. Let's start then with Cheltenham. The champions, the first ever Football League title for them. It was sealed emphatically after Harrogate were beaten 4-1. Michael Duff talked a couple of weeks ago about how his team weren't on the latch yet because they wanted to win the title. He also said he was going to keep it in his garage, which, I don't know, fine, I guess. Uh, Sam, does he just suit Cheltenham? You know, in the way that some managers just suit some clubs. He seems to be a really good fit there. Yeah, yeah. When you consider his his history, he's a he's a two club man, isn't he? Um, came through uh, at Cheltenham in terms of you know getting into the the football league through the non league, was a standout for them. Got his move to Burnley, uh, brilliant for them. Promoted multiple times and and come back to a club which he knows wonderfully well. He's got mates from his career around him. Steve Book, the goalkeeping coach, um, legend at the club. Wade Elliott um, from his Burnley days. Got his his pals there. Lives in the town his family have all moved to the area yeah it it works absolutely um the fans love him there'll come a time i'm sure uh when he's done his his learning and done his apprenticeship that he'll want to crack at a burnley or something like that but um for the moment he's doing a a brilliant job um and first and foremost he set them up wonderfully well defensively he was a great defender himself i played against him numerous times and they're just so difficult to score against um, nothing complicated about the way they go about it. Added the long throw to their armory this season. No out and out goal scorers spread the goals around. Honest, hard working, you know, all the cliches, but um yeah, brilliant achievement. Off the back of that collapse last season, it's uh a absolutely outstanding job that he's done to get them up. Yeah, kind of went about it differently, Michelle, to, to the way that Oxford did. But both have managed to recover from from playoff heartbreak last season. And, and Cheltenham in particular, obviously they've won the title, but they they really underperformed against Northampton in the, in the playoffs last season. And it would be easy for that to have carried over into this season and they'd maybe, maybe have been looking at playoffs again, but they quickly put that behind them. Yeah, I think it must be the leadership of Michael Duff as well. You know, yeah, we can talk about the long throws, which has been a, a good tactical piece to get those extra goals from the headers. You know, Ben Tozer, I think he was their player of the year for the second season running. But the way the players speak about Michael Duff, if you just um, have a look at the local news websites and the articles they say about them, they're just absolutely full of full of praise. Um, we saw the celebrations when it was confirmed in the car park, but 
the way they've bounced back has been incredible. And to have that mentality, not just to get promoted, because I think there can be a subconscious thing when you've been promoted. We saw it with Norwich. They lost the next game. You know, you're up, you can relax a little bit, but they didn't really take their, their foot off the gas, so to speak. Um, had that final day whenever Harrogate Town to seal it. And yeah, since they've turned professional in 1932, I was looking at, at the leagues that they've won before. And like you say, never in the Football League. The Southern League, Midland Division in 82-83, 84-85, they won the Premier Division of that. In 98-99, uh, the Nationwide Conference, as it was, and the National League in 2015-16, which wasn't so long ago in, in general long football terms. So for them to be in League One is, is huge. And yeah, a lot of credit has to go to the players, but the way Michael Duff has masterminded the bounce back from the disappointment of those playoffs and the way it happened, the fashion it happened last season, they'll be absolutely delighted. So they're champions. Cambridge second after they beat Grimsby 3-0. This was a big surprise as well over the course of the season, Clark. You know, you think back to, to pre-season predictions, not many people had Cambridge as being an automatic promotion contender or even a playoff contender. <laughs> No, it's, it's the it's the bigger story for me is is Cambridge's rise under, under Mark Bonner, a guy that that, that didn't really play the game. He's, he's been a coach from day one and worked his way up, and he's clearly very very talented in that in that regard. He's only in his mid thirties. Um, it's a stunning achievement for Cambridge United, and I was really pleased that they did it in 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 a certain style as well, with Wes Houlihan scoring a good goal and and Paul Mullen as well record-breaking campaign from him. Yeah, the recruitment was great to, to, to bring in Houlihan, genius, but also he brought in Mullen and Ironside. It's not just him, by the way. They've got a head football at Cambridge called Ben Strang, who's done a great job. They brought in Mullen and Ironside, who've become, they sound like a detective duo, don't they? But <laughs> but um, they, they've been phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. But you look at their careers until now, not that special. Paul Mullen, the most he's ever got was nine for Morecambe five years ago. Joe Ironside scored six last year for Macclesfield. They identified something in these guys that that fitted in with the way that, that Bonner wanted to play and it's it's clicked. And uh, I'm chuffed, chuffed to bits to see them in the third tier because they haven't been there for a long time. Yeah, and I just wanted to add to that, Clarkie, as well. When we had Mark Bonner in, last week on Quest, it was so weird because they could have been promoted that that day. But, you know, you could sense his sort of nerves and he was saying, you know, we've done it all season. All we've got to do is just do the job next week. But it's not that simple, is it? And he's he's 35. You know, he had players that were older than him. It's absolutely incredible. And the board, I guess, has to take quite a lot of credit for appointing him because he's come up through the academy coaching and been around Cambridge United for a while. He's a Cambridge United fan too. It's, it's a little bit of a fairy tale. It's just going to be interesting to see if he can carry it through to, to League One. And they didn't just do it playing industrial football. They they played some good stuff. They evolved as the, as the campaign went on, become better to watch. Away from home, they scored four or more in six games. To score four or more in six away games, that's exciting. And uh, I think there'll be a handful next season for, for certain teams in League One. Yeah, they're Rochdale numbers. Yeah, I think both the guys have made the, the, the main points, the two ingredients, obviously Mark Bonner, instilling ridiculous desire and mentality across the season, really. Always responded to setbacks, won 12 of the 17 matches that have come after defeats. And early part of the season, I was always thinking they were scoring late and over a quarter of those goals have come in the last 10 minutes. So I think that that is partly the manager, but it's what Adrian's just described there as well. Having Houlihan and having a centre forward who's just so full of goals, just a masterstroke really, because Houlihan will continue to try and unlock doors late in games. And when you've got someone like Mullen who's been so confident, that just helps the team unbelievably. So yeah, brilliant achievement. Yeah, and, and nice to see the return of that old promotion celebration favourite players dump unfeasibly large bucket of water over manager's head <laughs> as well. Always got plenty of time for that. Uh, so they were the top two. Bolton pinched third place on the last day. Before we talk about them, let's hear from somebody who has, quote, been injecting Bolton content straight into my veins for about 72 hours. Formerly of this parish is Joe Crilly. On the 22nd of May 2011, Bolton Wanderers finished in 14th place in the Premier League, albeit after a brief flirtation with relegation. Now the days of JJ and Ivan and Yuri and the European tours were in the past, but even so, we as fans were thinking, we're Bolton Wanderers, 
We shouldn't be anywhere near the relegation zone. Next season, it'll all be better. The following decade saw Bolton relegated three times, promoted once, go into administration, and as Jim White cheerily stood in front of a countdown clock on Sky Sports News, almost ceased to exist entirely. The Ken Anderson era of ownership from 2016 to 2019 saw the connection that the club had built with the community of Bolton since 1877 eradicated. This season it's been different though. Ian Everett has built a squad that has won the hearts of the fans, full of character and playing a style of football that hasn't been seen since the days of Bruce Rioch in the early 90s. Everett has been backed by a board that has the best interests of the club and the town of Bolton at heart. Everett himself has said he wants to walk around Bolton and see kids wearing Wanderers shirts rather than City or United ones. The videos from outside the ground in the early hours of Sunday morning show just how much the promotion means to us, the fans. It was a collective explosion of much-needed joy after a decade of feeling that our club and we as fans do not matter. We're finally proud to once again say we are supporters of Bolton Wanderers. You could hear the passion and celebration dripping from his voice. Good to hear it from Joe. Sam, what do they do next season? Spend a load more money or, or keep with the players that got them up? Uh, I would suggest that, yeah, stick with a large majority of those players. They've done brilliantly. I think a number of them probably would have been recruited with the idea of getting them up a couple of divisions. Um, like said Doyle and, and Sarsovic, despite, you know, those two in particular having amazing records in the bottom tier, I think they could easily do a job going up and, I'm sure there'll be um, a few Premier League loanees, um, unquestionably, that uh, would see that as a attractive proposition uh, with the stadium and, and of course, the brilliant football they're playing. Depends, doesn't it, as well? Can they keep Kieran Lee, Declan John? There've been a couple of key loanees. There's a few more as well, aren't there? Those those loanees they brought in end of January helped them so much. I think they were like 20th at the start of February. It's just absolutely crazy what they did. Yeah, we ought to give Ian Everett some props for that, Clarky, because we were quick to to dig him out when he had a pop at his young keeper. But that turnaround that Michelle's just just pointed out, fifty one points from twenty two games from February onwards, that's that's phenomenal. Yeah, we we gave him a little bit of stick, but in in hindsight, he was just being strong. He just been a strong manager. He he wasn't happy with with the situation. wasn't happy with an individual. But I think there was a big change in December, wasn't there? When they they sacked effectively the head of football at the club, Tobias Phoenix, and basically he then got full control. It felt like his team, his recruitment, and for me, that's when their season started. So Everett won the sort of power battle behind the scenes. Looking back, maybe maybe that young goalkeeper was brought in by somebody else, and and that was why he was making such a, a big deal about it. But came good, and look, he took Barrow up which was a great achievement. He's now taken Bolton up from a, a position where they had no right to even think about promotion. He's a gaffer that's got something. So, yeah, um, a real asset to Bolton Wanderers. And they crushed Crawley on the last day. What did you make of it, Yamo? We didn't want to spoil the party. We wanted to be the party. Yeah. <laughs> Don't matter who we play. I'm, you know, or they've gone up. They deserve to go up. Big club, big budgets, big everything else. And they deserve it. Of course they do. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. And we was punching above our weight for a lot of the season, but it is what it is, and congratulations to them. Sincere uh, <laughs> is not the word that springs to mind there. Uh, so the playoffs then are going to be Tranmere against Morecambe in the Kevin Ellison derby and Newport against Forest Green Rovers. <sighs> Brief question on, on, on each tie. Uh, first of all, to you, Sam, on, on Newport Forest Green, Taylor, two gaffers here for me. One of them under absolutely no pressure whatsoever. He's, he's barely managed a handful of first-team games. Another one in Mike Flynn, who always seems to be getting a bit of stick from the Newport supporters. Maybe maybe win or bust for them this time round. Yeah, possibly. Um, spoke about this on, on Saturday because, you know, Newport have really kind of alarmingly changed their style, not in a in a bad way, but it's a complete contrast to what they were a few seasons ago, you know, with a big man up top and very direct, horrible pitch um, at Rodney Parade. So yeah, it's a bit, been a big contrast this season. But yeah, I'd, I'd go along with that because I just think Michael Flynn, like maybe Gareth Ainsworth, probably a couple of others, when other jobs do come up, they don't exactly um, bin them straight away. They kind of flutter their eyelashes if that's a... Uh, a phrase um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised I wouldn't be surprised if this is maybe his last season um, so yeah he'll be desperate to get them up and 
you know, having spoken about their their style of play, I think Forest Green have made, I know it's been a short time, but I think Forest Green have maybe changed already under Jimmy Ball. I had a little look at the possession from the last few games. We know they like to keep the ball under Mark Cooper. Only 36% of the ball away at Oldham and 40% a couple of weeks ago at Crawley. And I looked at the the previous season's um, stats and they had 67% at Oldham and 66% at Crawley. So there's been a real drop-off and in the number of passes that they're playing in the game as well. So I think Jimmy Ball's probably been watching Mark Cooper's side from the outset and and uh, from the outside and not seeing them doing the business in the recent weeks and months and maybe just thought, you know what, I'm going to change things up and see if I can get a tune out of this side. So I think it's going to be fascinating from that point of view. Tranmere Morecambe, the other game. In terms of Morecambe, Adrian, they missed out on the last day, but surely they're not going to be going into the playoffs particularly downhearted because they're, they weren't expecting to be in them back in August. No, no, it should be a good tie, I think, Tranmere against uh, against Morecambe. I hope they do it, I really do. They play good attacking football. They've got some amazing individuals that that could definitely play higher than than League Two. So, yeah, no, I, th- I think they'll go into it Feeling less pressure than than than, than Tranmere, but but for me, they you know that the winner of the of the playoffs might might actually come from from that semi final. Do you think it might be Tranmere, Michelle? They eventually stopped moaning about last season and, and focused on this and got themselves in the playoffs. <laughs> oh, controversial, but <laughs> um, it's. I mean, look, Newport Forest Green Tranmere all finished on seventy three points, didn't they? So. There wasn't a lot over the season to choose between them. I quite fancy Morecambe because I think Derek Adams has, has done a, a brilliant job there. So I, I, I'm not one for predicting playoffs because I think you make yourself look stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can do that in pretty much uh, any aspect of my life. So I'll say Morecambe are going to win. Abby, what do uh, Paddy Power think about the League Two playoffs? Who's, who's going to win them? They think that Newport are going to win them 5-2. Oh. to two. Uh, they are the favourites. Morecambe are on thirteen to five, with both Forest Green and Tranmere at eleven to four. Mm, interesting. Right before we go, uh, with Ed Sheeran and Elton John being in the EFL news this week, it's only right to ask our panel's dream pop star owner slash chairperson combo. Uh, Clarky, we'll start with you. I want to know if you pick Southend or Arsenal to start with, or Stevenage or Ipswich or Cambridge or one of your other clubs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... I've gone for South End. Um, it was probably the last mention of South End on this podcast for a while. So <laughs> why not? Away, yeah, yeah. Uh, why not? Um, and they've got a great, they've got a great singer that's that's one of the big, biggest fans there. And, I, and I'd love it if she took over from Ron Martin. Certainly couldn't do any any worse than Ron Martin. Uh, Alison Moyer. Alison Moyet, get her in at Roots Hall. She made it. She she wrote a song about them called Blue. Let's bring her in and 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 have that reboot under under Moyet, uh, you know Moyet's regime. We've seen Moisey at the top level deliver. It's Moyet's turn now. Very good, uh, Michelle. What have you gone for? Right, my team of Villa, but I'm going to go for an owner for Plymouth Argyle for my husband's team saying that Simon Hallett is a fantastic um, owner and chairman there but he is actually friends with well I say friends in the loosest terms but Bastille their drummer Woody is a massive Plymouth Argyle fan and I was down home park a few weeks ago and he tweeted me and he when you're allowed in he sits in the stand with his drum and he bangs his drum so I think he'd be a a fantastic rock star owner as it were (laughs) Uh, Sam, the perfect opportunity for you to wheel out the Jamie Cullum anecdote here. <laughs> Don't tempt me, Matt. Um, yeah, I will. Um, <laughs> basically, it gets exaggerated, obviously, but um, my memory says that someone from the, the boxes or the lounges at Swindon came down to the dressing room after a game and said that Jamie Cullum wanted to meet me. It was probably the other way around, but that's the way it's been told uh, in the subsequent years. So I go up there and um, he was with his dad, if I remember correctly. And one thing definitely happened. I signed an autograph for him and he signed an autograph for me and I had a few mates from from London up for the game. So they came in and I remember it because he um, is somewhere in the house still because he does a little Jamie Cullum and he has a little piano underneath. It was really nice. So I'm going to have him on the board at Swindon who... Uh, obviously in that position at the moment where we don't really know 
who the owner is going to be next season, but it's going to be overseen by Jay-Z and Beyonce, um, just <laughs> purely for the uh, Bunsen burner, because he could probably buy most of Swindon, I would imagine. Um, so we get a nice new stadium, glossy new stadium. They can live in the Cotswolds and they can hang out with the Beckhams and Swindon will uh, absolutely moat a few of the divisions. Win-win. Uh, have to rename their daughter though, won't they? Can't can't have a daughter called Blue if you own own Swindon or whatever. Uh, awake it, no problem. <laughs> good knowledge, though, Matt. Very, very good knowledge. Uh, okay. It kind of segues into mine nicely. I mean, I should have gone for Elton John because, as I'm sure everybody knows, Elton John's cousin scored the winning goal for Forest in the 1959 FA Cup final. Uh, but instead. <laughs> I have chosen AJ Tracy, the British rapper, to be the owner of Forest, purely because his recent hit, Graveyard Shift, perfectly sums up the campaign of the two-time European champions, which has been utterly dreadful. Something that's not utterly dreadful is the Totally Football League show Extra Time. George and Annie will be back with Abby for that on Thursday with a review of this season. We'll be back with our playoff preview on Sunday. Until then, many thanks to Adrian, to Sam, to Michelle and to Abby, mainly to you though, listener, for your company. We'll catch up with you again soon. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.